Colorado continues to have this year's team in rarefied franchise there. Minnesota is not out of the woods on securing their ticket to the playoffs. St. Louis played a new song, and Arizona put itself in some uh, slipping sand. The trade deadline came and went, with most teams standing on the same ground as their points in the standings would have them. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week, West Division, a wrap of last week's games from Monday and ending Sunday. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. The focus of the podcast with analysis is for Arizona, Colorado, Minnesota, and St. Louis, four of the eight teams that will make up the Central Division in 2021-22. The four currently playing in the West Division this season with Vegas, LA, Anaheim, and San Jose, usually Pacific Division teams. We talk about them because of this year's interdivisional play. Recorded Monday evening, April 12th, as I record on the Monday, it was NHL trade deadline day today. I let the 3 p.m. Eastern deadline pass. To be able to include those moves into this podcast prior to recording this week's edition, so... Instead of watching the Arizona-Minnesota game going on right now, I'm recording this and then catching up on that a little later on tonight. However, based on my available time to edit the podcast, I'm hoping to have it up Wednesday, but it may be a day later. I may need the extra day to fully complete it. I am aware the teams will have begun games that we talk about this podcast as upcoming games. I have just come to accept in this condensed schedule in the NHL, that the turnaround to recap before the teams play more games each week as well, impossible. So I just try to do it as quickly, but with the priority on the content, as it's becoming instantly dated. It would be easy to cover a single team, humbly in my opinion. The podcast is to look at the whole division, because that's something that you can't find anywhere. This year, they were split into three, but when they are all in the same division next year, pretty sure anyone following the teams within the division will want to make this podcast to go to every week because, well, following eight teams in depth is like, well, it just isn't done. And overall league takes have little value because from the vantage point, It's not really following anyone enough to know anything about any of the teams. I joke about not watching a nanosecond of the East Division games this year, but truthfully, there isn't time for that. It is impossible to watch everyone play. But a division? Well, eight teams that are supposed to be in a division, that is to me, probably the max number of teams you can fully do well in covering in the NHL. Even the expanded playoff format last year was too many teams. And so regular season coverage of an NHL conference, to me, is probably impossible too. The league is absolutely a non-starter. Reminds me of listening to the Hockey News' recap podcast of the Arizona-Nashville play-in playoff round. The analysts of what happened was based on the perceptions of each team going into the playoffs. 
I'm pretty sure one guy of that round table actually didn't watch a game in the series to be saying why Nashville lost and Arizona won. I got tired of listening to lazy narratives. So I do this so you have one that isn't a lazy narrative for what will be the oft-forgotten Central Division teams in 2021-22 that often have a team represented in the final annually. This isn't I watched a handful of games opinion. This is the eight focused teams being watched over an ever-expanded timeline since the podcast's inception. That's also why Arizona, before playing a game in the Central Division, is already included. To know them as fairly as the others prior to their official inclusion. I haven't ranted for a bit in the podcast lately, but now you know, again, why I do this podcast. Let's get to the four focused Central Division teams playing in the West Division. Colorado remains in top spot in the Honda West Division going into Monday night's action. Their current season is matching some of the franchise's best regular season years of the past. That's where we begin our four focused Central Division teams this week in some rarefied Colorado air. The expanded standings look at Colorado in the Honda West Division. Colorado has a 732-point percentage of first. Since the last podcast, 3-1-0, overall 28-9-4, 41 games played, 60 points, 146 goals for, 96 goals against, plus 50 goal differential. Game Recaps Both Colorado and Minnesota came in with streaks into this two-game set between the two. Colorado's point streak ended after 15 games. The game after Colorado ended Minnesota's franchise record 11-game home win streak as the team split the two high-octane games against each other in Minnesota. Here are the game summaries. Monday, April 5th, a 5-4 win at Minnesota for Colorado. 6.35 in, Minnesota's Kevin Fiala's point shot is stopped. Jarrett Spurgeon net front puts it off the post as the puck goes through Colorado goalie Philip Grubauer on a power play chance. 7.37 in, Minnesota's Joel Erickson can't jam a rebound pass Colorado goalie Grubauer on the power play. 8.40 in, a Minnesota goal. Ryan Hartman's backhand goes far side as Nick Bukestad makes a, a backhand pass down low after battling down the wall upon zone entry. one nothing Minnesota after one. 18 seconds into the second, Colorado's Nathan McKinnon at full speed splits the Minnesota defense for a breakaway and scores a glove side on Minnesota goalie Cam Talbot. A minute 11 seconds after Colorado gets a goal as Andre Burakoski puts away a point shot rebound. With 6.30 left, Minnesota goalie Talbot makes a glove save on Colorado's JT Confer. 4.12 left, Colorado gets a goal off the cycle on a point shot tipped by Brandon Saad net front. Just prior to Saad's chance, Saad cross-checks Minnesota defenseman Spurgeon to be open net front to be able to put the puck in. No penalty on the play. With 2.08 left, Colorado nets its fourth goal of the second frame as Kale McCarr's point shot goes off a Minnesota stick and is tipped top corner by Confer. 4-1 Colorado through two. 3.35 into the third, Minnesota's Ryan Hartman fans on a shot but passes the puck to the slot where Bukestad puts it skate to stick to score. 
722 in a Colorado power play goal. Gabriel Landeskog has a net front tap as Colorado makes two quick seam passes to set him up at the top of the slot. 929 in, Minnesota's Ryan Suter puts it off the post on a power play point shot. 944, Minnesota gets a power play goal as Marcus Johansson throws the puck net front, putting it off of a Colorado defenseman and in. 1022, Colorado's Kyle Burrows and Minnesota's Bukestad get five each for fighting. With 35 seconds left, Minnesota power play goal on Fiela's center top slot wrister that goes glove side. Minnesota's Nick Benino and Matt Dumba get slash and roughing penalties, plus misconducts in the dying seconds and at the buzzer of the game, while Colorado's Miko Rantanen and Landestog get roughing penalties in the 5-4 Colorado win. Shots 36-25 Colorado, that included a 20-5 shot advantage for Colorado in the second period. Colorado 1-for-3, Minnesota 2-for-6 on the power play. Colorado goalie Grubauer, four goals against 21 saves in the win. Minnesota goalie Talbot, five goals against 31 saves in the loss. Wednesday, April 7th was an 8-3 Colorado loss to Minnesota in Minnesota. 201 into the first, Colorado's Nathan McKinnon is tagged for a neutral zone hooking penalty on Minnesota's Kevin Fiella. The replay shows Fiella held McKinnon's stick to draw the penalty. That set up a power play goal as Minnesota opens the scoring with a Fiala cross-seam pass to Kirill Kaprizov that gives him a net side tap-in. With 10.38 left, Minnesota's Matt Zuccarello gets it to Ryan Hartman on a two-on-one, but he rings the crossbar. 6.45 left, Minnesota's Luke Johnson get his first NHL goal, finishing off a three-on-one from the slot, top shelf, glove side on Colorado goalie Philip Grubauer. He really can say that he scored a beauty for his first NHL goal. 5-12 left, Minnesota's Hartman takes a late hit. Can't even emphasize how late. Like, you might just skip the class you are late for altogether. Late hit by Colorado's Jacob McDonald that is missed by the officials. More on this later. One twenty-two left. Number 22 on your program, Minnesota's Fiala's point shot wrister goes far side top shelf for a Minnesota power play goal. The power play was because Colorado took a bench minor for trying to make a line change on a icing call against Colorado. With 58 seconds left, Minnesota goalie Cam Talbot makes a big save on Colorado's Andre Burakoski's backhander. 3-0 Minnesota after one. 34 seconds into the second, Nathan McKinnon does Nathan McKinnon things for a Colorado power play goal. At the dot, he moves to the center slot and puts it against the grain, back short side through a screen. At 437, Minnesota's Hartman intercepts Colorado defenseman Devin Taves' defensive zone outlet pass up the middle and beats Colorado goalie Grubauer glove side for a Minnesota goal. 40 seconds after, Colorado's Burakoski lifts a big rebound by Minnesota goalie Talbot, blocker side for a Colorado goal. 5.35 in, Minnesota goalie Talbot makes a glove save on Colorado's Jonas Donskoy. At 9.42, Colorado's McKinnon does McKinnon things for a Colorado power play goal. McKinnon sets up Miko Rantanen with a perfect shot pass off of Minnesota goalie Talbot, for a net side tap and goal. The power play was because Minnesota defenseman Ryan Suter took a defensive zone penalty for knocking 
off Colorado Tyson Joe's helmet as the two continued to battle net front with the puck nowhere around. 6.22 left, the Minnesota power play goal set up by Minnesota's number 22 that you can file under the high level of a difficult as Kirill the Thrill Kaprizov. I have not said that yet once. That's the first time. Gets the pass from Fiela in a phone booth in the slot, and he puts it through a back turn Colorado penalty killer's feet and legs, using him as a screen to score a one-timer. That turned around Colorado penalty kill player happens to be the best Colorado defensive forward, even received Selkie votes last year, Valerie Nishnushkin. I don't mention it to embarrass Nishnushkin. Quite the contrary. It's to say, when a team scores a goal on the other team's best players, for me, I appreciate it even more because that is a best-on-best skill goal. 5-3 Minnesota through 2. 4-24 into the third. Minnesota's number 22 gets number 2 for the game as Fiello off of a Colorado defensive zone turnover works his way to the slot and through traffic finds a way to put it roof glove side for a Minnesota goal. 7-18 in. Minnesota's Eric Sinek scores far side on the slot feed from behind the net. That ends Colorado goalie Grubauer's night. Colorado goalie Jonas Johansson comes in relief. 7.56 in, number 22 Fiala finishes his hat trick with a power play goal from the top slot five hole. At 8.51, Colorado's Burakovsky and Minnesota's Kyle Rao get two roughing, and Colorado's Liam O'Brien and Minnesota's Matt Dumba tussle and get 10-minute misconducts. With 20 seconds left, Minnesota's Hartman before class ends gets a two-minute penalty. A cross-check on Colorado's McDonald with the puck probably already on Fiala's mantle at home from his first career hat trick far away. 8-3 Minnesota final, shots 32-19 Colorado. Minnesota 4-for-5, Colorado 2-for-7 on the power play. Minnesota goalie Talbot, 3 goals against, 29 saves for the win. Colorado goalie Grubauer, 7 goals against, 11 saves for the loss. Colorado goalie Johansson, one goal against, zero saves in relief. From a Colorado perspective, the split was opportunistic as the 5-4 win was driven by the four-goal second period, and I'm not sure Colorado gets credit for, as we pointed out last week, Minnesota struggles in the second frame. They took advantage of them, that's all. The second game was just a little too casual for Colorado, and that ended their 15-game point streak. It's hard to be critical of a team on a 15-game point streak, even when it ends. But over the two games, Minnesota outscored Colorado 12-8 to combined. And if you take out Minnesota's second-period problems, Minnesota outscored Colorado 10-1 to in the first and third periods in this pair of games. Colorado was ranked first league-wide in goals allowed, heading in. They are third overall now. And these two games are the reason for the drop. Colorado was lucky with the split here. They certainly were relaxed on their strong defensive game and played with a lack of discipline. Colorado rebounds from the loss in Minnesota to win the set of two low-scoring games in Anaheim. Here are the game summaries. Friday, April 9th, a 2-0 win over Anaheim at Anaheim. 
with 535 left in a scoreless first. Anaheim goalie John Gibson stones Colorado's Nathan McKinnon at the top of the crease on a power play. 31 seconds into the second, Colorado goalie Jonas Johansson stops an Anaheim point-blank slot chance. With 9.45 left, Colorado's Kale McCarr is stopped on a pinch chance. With approximately 5 left, Colorado has a 4-on-3 power play that turns into a 5-on-3 power play briefly, and finally a 5-on-4 traditional power play stretch that with 3.44 left, Anaheim kills off. Colorado goalie Johansson stops an Anaheim net front tip shot. After, Colorado has a lot of offensive zone time off the cycle with 2.48 left, a Colorado goal as Valerie Nishnushkin puts a one-timer far blocker side roof from the slot. one nothing Colorado through two. 4.52, Colorado goalie Johansson stops an Anaheim slot shot as the third is underway. With 10.48, Colorado's Miko Rantanen has his shot go through the paint, but not in the net. 7.24 left, Colorado's Gabriel Landeskog tries to tuck it in on a wraparound coming out from behind the net, but Anaheim goalie Gibson makes the stop. 34 seconds left, Colorado's Rantanen gets an empty net goal for the 2-0 Colorado win. 35-28 shots, Colorado. Colorado 0 for 3, Anaheim 0 for 2 at the power play. Colorado goalie Johansson makes 28 saves for his first career shutout. Sunday, April 11th, a 4-1 win for Colorado at Anaheim. 6-22 into the first, Colorado's Gabriel Landeskog's chance forces an Anaheim glove save by goalie John Gibson. 7-01 in, Colorado 3-on-2, Devin Taves can't put it past Anaheim goalie Gibson's blocker. 7-25 in, Colorado goalie Jonas Johansson makes two stops on an Anaheim 2-on-1. At 7.46, Colorado opens the scoring. Andre Burakovsky finds the loose puck in a scramble in the Anaheim slot and goes under Anaheim goalie Gibson 5-hole. 8.22 in, Colorado's Liam O'Brien and Anaheim's Nicholas Desjardins fight and get five each for the hard-hitting bout. 8.01 off the rush, Anaheim goalie Gibson makes a pad save on Colorado's Miko Rantanen. With 2.40 left, Anaheim goalie Gibson poke checks Colorado's JT Confer and his net front chance. one nothing Colorado after one. 4.46 into the second, Colorado's Nathan McKinnon drives to the slot but can't score. 5.43 in, Colorado has a 5-on-3 power play. Colorado McKinnon's point blast is tipped net front by Gabriel Landeskog for the Colorado power play goal at 6.35. 8.06 in, Colorado's Confer in the slot is stopped on a 2-on-1. With 8.48 left, Colorado's Nazem Kadri can't tuck it in on a partial breakaway. 27 seconds later, Colorado's Burakovsky can't beat Anaheim goalie Gibson glove side. 5.14 left, Anaheim goalie Gibson makes another glove save on a Colorado power play one-timer by McKinnon. 3.46 left, Anaheim hits the far side post from the slot. 1.23 left, Colorado's Tyson Jost is stopped on a Colorado odd man rush. 2-0 Colorado through 2. 5.49 in, Colorado goalie Johansson stops two Anaheim chances. Midway point of the third, Colorado goalie Johansson makes a slot stop on an Anaheim power play. 8.32 left, a pad save by Colorado goalie Johansson. 6.23, Anaheim gets a goal with the teams playing 4-on-4 four four 
a three-on-two back pass point shot off of a Colorado defense goes glove side. 6.37 left Colorado's sod backhand is stopped in the slot. 5.47 Colorado's Ryan Graves gets his first goal of the year, a point shot wrister off of two Anaheim players net front and goes in through traffic. With 3.06 left, Colorado's Kale McCarr gets a cross-crease pass on the tape for McKinnon to redirect a tap-in short side. 144 Anaheim's Sam Carrick cross-checks Colorado's JT Confer off the Anaheim defensive zone face-off repeatedly and was getting a delayed penalty for that. They continue to battle and finally drop the gloves, and Colorado's Liam O'Brien is tagged for being the third man in. So O'Brien gets two roughing and ten. Carrick gets two for roughing, cross-checking, and a 10-minute misconduct. 4-1 Colorado win, 37-25 Colorado shots. 1-4 for four Colorado, 0-2 Anaheim on the power play. Colorado goalie Johansson, one goal against 24 saves for the win. This was a good set of games, especially the Sunday game, that actually had more offensive chances and flow than most Anaheim games. Colorado goalie Johansson was full value. I don't want to say he outdueled Anaheim goalie John Gibson, who faced more shots from a more offensively gifted team in Colorado. But Johansson did post a shutout and allowed a one goal against in two games played. Sure, it was against the offensively challenged Anaheim team. But that Grubauer enjoyed time off while Colorado took four points from last place Anaheim is the best case scenario, and that's what happened. Colorado's overall analysis. With the team's 28th win, Colorado was the first NHL team to 60 points and is in some rarefied air in the franchise regular season. Teams, including some that were able to bring home the ultimate hardware, the Stanley Cup. President's Trophy winners are mostly remembered when they don't win the Cup. The division title is important for seeding and the win percentage for home ice for the playoffs this year, so there is extra motivation there. With 15 games left to play in the regular season schedule for Colorado, to me, the most important thing is finishing on a good win streak heading into the playoff dance. That is what I actually put stock into, finishing strong. Given Colorado had their 15-game point streak ended in this set of games and starts Monday's action on a new two-game win streak, it's going to be hard to be as perfect as they actually have been to put them in the driver's seat in the West Division. Vegas is still in striking range for top spot. Colorado is one of the few teams that made multiple additions at the deadline, but The core of this team is why they are where they are at. And those guys are the ones that really will have to continue to deliver regardless of the deadline acquisitions. Philip Grubauer's season so far has been Vesna worthy. GM Joe Sackick doubled down as after grabbing Jonas Johansson 25 in a deal with Buffalo at the deadline, he grabbed that goalie Devin Dubnik from San Jose. First, managing Grubauer's playing time is clearly priority. And I don't like 
the will he stay healthy narrative. I hate it totally. However, sadly, it will only go away when he hoists the Stanley Cup. Johansson in his starts has been good even posting his first shutout and playing both versus Anaheim. That quality backup performance adds confidence in Colorado's goaltending. He is also younger, so it looks to be a great find for the organizational depth, not just a short-term fix. That's where Dubnik comes in. Dubnik is insurance, but isn't an upgrade? Not really. Yeah, much like Johansson's numbers in front of an awful Buffalo defense weren't good, neither is Dubnik's 3.18 goals against average and 0.898 save percentage in 17 games played in San Jose. Now, you won't get an argument from me that defensively, Buffalo and San Jose are probably closer to each other than the defense Dubnik will play in front of in Colorado. However, let's think about last year when Dubnik was in Minnesota, who has a better defense than San Jose, and a lot of the same players again this year, where the numbers have gone up for their goaltending, even with pretty much the same defense. And it's Minnesota's moving on from Dubnik that is a big reason Minnesota will be in the playoffs this year as well. San Jose received a fifth-round 2021 pick, and defenseman Greg Patteron, who Colorado swapped Ian Cole with in an early trade with Minnesota. Eight of Patteron's 11 games played this year were with Colorado, and even through injuries, he rarely played. As far as a pecking order with the goaltending, then this is Grubauer's team. Johansson, to me, seems like the capable young backup, and Dubnik, just in case the team has to face having another two goalies go down like they did have happen last year. I don't think lightning strikes twice, but knock on wood. Colorado GM Joe Sackick, of course, grabbed a former Av from Detroit, defenseman Patrick Nemeth, 29, at the deadline. He had two goals, eight points, 18-24, time on ice in 39 games played with Detroit. Detroit retained 50% of the $3 million expiring deal, so he'll be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, for a fourth-round 2022 pick. With 353 regular season NHL games played for his career, and you can see Nemeth probably as a bottom pair or depth defenseman, and he will have more experience than Dan Renouf, Jacob McDonald, and Kyle Burles at the NHL level combined. He really doesn't replace injured Eric Johnson, but he does add NHL experience at defense that with Kale McCarr, Devin Taves, Sam Gerrard, Ryan Graves, and a potentially returning Boehm Byram, it's to say it pushes others down the depth chart, and that's a good thing. The other spot Colorado didn't add in the offseason was at center, even with the departure of Vladislav Nemesnikov, who signed with Detroit. GM Joe Sackick at the deadline added vet center Carl Soderberg, 35, who also played four seasons previously for Colorado in his career, as well as time in Arizona before signing the one-year deal with Chicago this past offseason. 
And in the other half of this weekly podcast, we of course cover Chicago as much as we cover Colorado, Central Division teams. Soderberg had 15 points in 34 games played in just over 15 minutes time on ice. Chicago received forward prospects Josh Dickinson and Ryder Rolston in return. Soderberg was a big body presence, even had time on the Chicago power play prior to the trade. At full health, the forward group is pretty set into four very defined lines. The top line of McKinnon, Ratanen, and Landeskog is hockey's best trio. Sod with Burakovsky and Kadri as the second line and so on. Notably, I want to mention, while fourth liner Matt Calvert has been injured, the insertion of Liam O'Brien has added some sandpaper into this lineup. Not sure how he stays in the lineup when it's fully healthy, but for Coach Bednar, he is also giving the coach every reason not to want to take him out. That grit in a playoff series, in a fourth-line role, is an asset for O'Brien. Finding a fourth-line spot for centerman Soderberg on a team with Pierre-Edouard Balmar, I don't know how that works out either. But this is a guy in Soderberg who can step in if someone whose defined role is hard to replace, such as Balmar, and that's actually a good problem to have. There are still games to be played. I said a few podcasts ago, the irreplaceable guys are Grubauer, McCarr, and McKinnon. If they, all three of those guys, can be fully healthy for the run, this team is going to go on a deep run, president trophy or not. Colorado's team metrics. Colorado's goals allowed 2.32, ranks third from first overall for the fewest since the last podcast, again, league-wide. Goal scored, 3.56, is still ranked first in the league. With an 84% success rate on the penalty kill, that is fourth-ranked league-wide down two spots, while the power play with a 23.4% success is up a spot to eighth. Colorado leads the league in shots on goal with 35.3 per game. Colorado remains First, with the fewest shots on goals allowed, with 25.2 per game, just like a week ago. Useless factoid for Colorado. Let's update backup goalie Jonas Johansson is still wearing an old mask from when he played with the Rochester Americans. That has in big print on the front number 31. While Johansson has to wear number 35, as starter Philip Grubauer wears number 31 for Colorado. At this point, he has to keep wearing this Rochester American mask with that number 31 on it. With his two wins this week, Johansson had a shutout and allowed one goal against in two games. He hasn't lost in regulation wearing that mask in Colorado with a mark now of 3-0-1 in four games played. I don't know, but my suggestion to newly acquired goalie Devin Dubnik is to somewhere have 31 on his equipment somewhere as well. It seems to be a good luck charm for Colorado goalies. Thumbs up. I thought it was time to highlight Colorado team goal scoring leader, Miko Rantanen, who had two goals and three assists in the four games played that we covered this week. His 23 goals are leading the avalanche, but also among the NHL league leaders in goals.
thumbs down defenseman Jacob McDonald. First things first, let's remember that he's played 27 games this season in the NHL at 28 years of age and a total of 29 for his NHL career. McDonald, to me, has had the privilege to be playing with a true Stanley Cup contender, and that opportunity comes with responsibility. One isn't making late hits on guys who have already earned their everyday NHL roles, such as Minnesota's Ryan Hartman. I'm all for physical play, but your hit was so late on Hartman, while it was completely avoidable, and not to mention completely a hit from behind on the numbers. And the league thought as much. The NHL, Department of Player Safety, suspended McDonald two games for his hit to the head on Minnesota's Ryan Hartman in that 8-3 loss to Minnesota Wednesday. That makes him eligible after sitting out the games versus Anaheim, which he did, to be available Monday, tonight, versus Arizona. Being suspended has you closer to being a healthy scratch, in my opinion, as well. And keep in mind, especially with the addition of a quality bottom pair demon in Patrick Nemeth, it's going to be harder to stay in the lineup. That means making good decisions, playing physical, but not taking liberties. In additional Colorado news, right winger Logan O'Connor, lower body left-hand defenseman Bowen Byram, COVID protocol-related absence, left winger Matt Calvert, undisclosed, and recently acquired defenseman Patrick Nemeth, undisclosed, are out or listed on injured reserve. Defenseman Eric Johnson and backup goalie Pavel Frankos remain on long-term injured reserve for the team. Up next for Colorado for Monday versus Arizona, going on as I record this, Wednesday at St. Louis, and then Friday and Sunday at L.A. Arizona, St. Louis, L.A. have beat Colorado this year once each in regulation this season in a combined 15 games played versus Colorado so far. So, file it under the unlikely, but just wanted to share, it's possible Colorado can be beaten. More likely is Colorado extending on its new two-game win streak. St. Louis represents the biggest challenge solely based on this past week's play. As we move to look at Minnesota, who we will acknowledge went 1-2-1 versus Colorado and St. Louis, but are comfortably still third in the West Division, we should update that Vegas remains second with a 700-point percentage, 27-11-2, 40 games played, 56 points, and a plus-36 goal differential. That puts them four points behind Colorado and five points ahead of Minnesota in the West Division standings in the same games played as Minnesota. Vegas is also on a two-game win streak heading into Monday night's action. Vegas made a deadline acquisition that Central Division teams will be familiar with as Chicago forward, who was in previous seasons with Dallas, center Matthias Janmark was picked up with a fifth-round 2022 pick in exchange for a 2021 second-round and 2022 third-round pick. It was a three-team deal. I'm just not going to go into all the finer details on this, of course, as Vegas is a Pacific Division team. 
However, they're going to be a playoff team in this West Division. Yanmark in 41 games played with Chicago, had 10 goals and 9 assists for 19 points, 16-49 time on ice, and saw second unit power play time, as well as time on the penalty kill. He is a versatile middle six forward whose offensive side was showing more this year in Chicago after having a primarily defensive role, which you might remember um, when the if you follow one of the teams in this division and haven't been watching much of the Central Division during his time in Dallas. Sorry for our focus teams, but Yanmark is a, a great deadline pickup for Vegas. Say that in the same way that Nemeth is a pretty decent pickup for a depth defenseman for Colorado. Getting to actually watch them a bit because I have to uh, follow three teams in that Central Division that remained in it. While St. Louis had a better week this past week, they are in a battle for the last playoff spot with Arizona. So I've decided that Minnesota should stay second in the podcast as they're among the top three teams. Here's where Minnesota are currently in the West Division standings. Minnesota has a 637 point percentage third since the last podcast, 1-2-1, and one, overall putting them 24-13-3. 40 games played, 51 points, 119 goals for, 109 goals against for a plus 10 goal differential. To recap the scores in the split versus Colorado, that started Minnesota's week. Monday, April 5th was a 5-4 loss to Colorado. And Wednesday, April 7th was an 8-3 win versus Colorado. Both those games, of course, played in Minnesota. The game summaries are in the Colorado segment. For the Minnesota perspective on the set, yes, Their home win streak ended at 11 games, but they also ended Colorado's 15-game point streak. If they could have not had those all-too-familiar second-period letdowns where they get outscored, they could have won both these games. Think about this. The four-goal second period propels Colorado to their 5-4 win. In Minnesota's 8-3 win, Colorado outscored Minnesota 3-2 in the second. In the first and thirds combined in the two games, Minnesota outscored Colorado 10-1. to If Minnesota can get this second period letdown sorted out, they are going to win more games than they currently are. And they have a pretty good record as it is now. Still, Minnesota are 12-1 at home in their last 13 games going into Monday night's action. Minnesota lost both games in St. Louis on the road. The game summaries are in the Minnesota segment. Let's look at the game summaries between Minnesota and St. Louis that Minnesota went 0-1-1 in and St. Louis went 2-0-0 in. Friday, April 9th, Minnesota 9-1 loss at St. Louis. 132 into the first, St. Louis goal. Zach Sanford finishes off a three-on-two short side blocker on Minnesota goalie Capo Kapikinen. 6.59, St. Louis goal. Jaden Swartz scores off the cycle from the dot short side. 34 seconds later, Minnesota goal. Zach Parisi, a rebound low blocker side, beats St. Louis goalie Jordan Bennington. 4.37, a St. Louis three-on-two net. Schwartz is second of the game blocker side. A minute and a half later, St. Louis's Justin Falk beats out an icing call and, from behind the net, puts it to the slot where Sammy Blaze scores short side. 4-1 St. Louis after one. 109 into the second, St. Louis off the rush. A 3-on-3, Ryan O'Reilly trailing. 
lets a top of the circle slapper go top corner blocker side. Three minute thirty seconds later, a St. Louis shorthanded goal as O'Reilly creates a turnover at the St. Louis blue line and goes in alone and puts it short side blocker for his second. At eight nineteen, St. Louis on a delayed penalty call get a goal. Justin Falk from the low circle goes bar down short side. With two nineteen left, Minnesota's Kevin Fiella. And 11 seconds later, St. Louis and David Perron are stopped as the team trade quality scoring chances. 7-1 St. Louis through two. Just over midway into the third at 10-17, St. Louis's O'Reilly completes his hat trick as he tips a point shot that hooks into the netting above the inside of the crossbar momentarily. And no one really knows where it is that it's in fact in the net even for a second. 354 left Minnesota's Carson Soucy gets a boarding call on a clean hit on St. Louis's Robert Thomas, who is injured on the play. We have more on that later. A minute 33 seconds after St. Louis get a power play goal on that penalty as Ivan Barbashev gets a high tip on Tory Krug's point shot. St. Louis wins 8-1 shots, 38-25 for St. Louis. St. Louis 1-2, for two. Minnesota 0-2 oh on the power play. St. Louis goalie Bennington, 1 goal against, 24 saves for the win. Minnesota goalie Kakin and 9 goals against, 29 saves for the loss. Saturday, as the teams had played back-to-back, 3-2 overtime loss, Minnesota at St. Louis. 135 left into the first. Minnesota opens the scoring. Nico Sturm off the wing from the dot beats St. Louis goalie Billy Huso far side over the pad under the blocker. 1-0 Minnesota after one. 307 into the second. St. Louis power play goal. Mike Hoffman, top of the circle, goes short side on Minnesota goalie Cam Talbot. 317 left. Minnesota's Zach Parisi is stopped net front, but draws a penalty on St. Louis's Marco Scandella. Minnesota's Krill Caprizos, one-timer from the slot, is stopped by St. Louis goalie Huso's pad. Minnesota do net a power play goal from the circle. Matt Dumba puts it off St. Louis goalie Huso's shoulders into the far side corner through a net front screen with 148 left. 2-1 Minnesota through 2. 848 into the third. Minnesota's Joel Eriksenek stopped by Huso's pad and close. 303 left, two on one. Minnesota Sturm's backhand is stopped on a two on one. 42 seconds left, St. Louis six on five with the goalie pulled. Tie the game on Hoffman's second goal. His point shot is stopped by Minnesota goalie Talbot. The rebound goes off of Minnesota defenseman and then into the net. Two all through three, needing three on three OT. 136 left. Play is stopped after St. Louis's Tory Krug shot goes off of Minnesota goalie Cam Talbot's mask. With two seconds left, St. Louis's Ryan O'Reilly wraps around the Minnesota net and lifts a backhand over Minnesota goalie Talbot's shoulder for the OT game-winning goal. Shots even at 30. St. Louis one for three, Minnesota one for two on the power play. St. Louis goalie Huso, two goals against, 28 saves for the overtime win. Minnesota goalie Talbot, three goals against, 27 saves for the overtime loss. From a Minnesota perspective, after putting up eight on Colorado, they turn around and give up nine on a St. Louis team that had two games prior, giving up six to Vegas. Isn't that the NHL, though? I feel for Kakinen, the back-to-back games. He had to stay in the first game, although I would have taken him out personally after the shorthanded goal by St. Louis in the second or at the latest, to start the third period. More on that later. But 
not because of his play, but because Minnesota was being outplayed in the five-on-five play, the special teams, and all aspects of the lopsided affair. Worse to me, though, is the 3-2 overtime loss as Minnesota played a better game, but didn't close it out, giving up the game-tying goal with less than a minute to go, and then dropping the game with two seconds left in overtime. A split would have been good here for Minnesota, given especially their troubles on the road, but the single overtime loss point was disappointing in back-to-back games for different reasons. Disappointing in the blowout and disappointing in not closing out the close game, but at the end of the day, both are the result of not playing the full 60 or 65 minutes, but they probably wouldn't be playing 65 minutes if they played the full 60 in these games against a rejuvenated St. Louis team. Minnesota's overall analysis. As we have said, Minnesota's franchise 11-game home win streak was ended by Colorado. That was followed by a strong win over Colorado that ended Colorado's 15-game point streak. To me, that split made sense as both Colorado and Minnesota, along with Vegas, continue to battle for top spot in the West Division. I have talked previously both about the second period minus goal differential for Minnesota and also how stark the home versus road record is for Minnesota this year. Those are the, shall we say, warning signs of a good team but not ready for primetime cup contending team. The first thing is we didn't expect them to be a cup contender. A playoff team, absolutely we did. And that looks more than realistic as Minnesota has fallen back of both Colorado and Vegas, but still have a buffer on St. Louis and Arizona who look to essentially be battling for fourth. However, St. Louis and Minnesota have a lot of their games against each other head-to-head as they were the last two teams to meet of any of the teams within this divisional play setup. At first thought, you think the split with the first place Colorado team is the key to the week. It wasn't. The two with St. Louis were the key to the week. Minnesota is up seven points with a game in hand heading into Monday night's game that has been postponed. We should let you know that also before I went to record this had been announced. Now, given Minnesota's not-as-good road record, a split in the two in St. Louis was essentially making sure the points ahead Minnesota is on St. Louis were maintained, and that didn't happen. That's why it's disappointing. Whether it was 9-1 or a 2-1 regulation loss in the one game is essentially the same two points lost. However, the response after the blowout is what's also required in these back-to-backs. And Minnesota played a way better game but they did give up the game-tying goal in the last minute and the overtime game-winning goal with two seconds left in overtime. And instead of two points each, St. Louis picked up four points to Minnesota's one point. So Minnesota finishes to me in the standings, mostly not on what Colorado or Vegas do, nor for that matter how St. Louis or Arizona do. They finish based solely on how much they win in the eight games left versus St. Louis 5 and Arizona 3. The rest of the schedule will sort itself out. Minnesota has points in hand, but they definitely have to play on the better half of 500 in the eight games against St. Louis and Arizona left. 
I think they can do it. I think they do do it. But they better get their push for the playoffs on as it's not locked in yet. They are still not out of the woods. With 16 games played to me, the games versus the two teams below them are the ones that can punch that well-deserved ticket for Minnesota. How Minnesota played in the two games they just played versus St. Louis, they have to be better going forward. Truthfully, I know Minnesota can play better than they did. They are going to have to. Finishing strong heading into the playoffs is more important than where you finish. GM Bill Gurren stood pat on adding any players at the deadline. That was logical. Minnesota is a playoff team in the West Division unless they unexpectedly went on a losing streak. They haven't been on to any point in this season. GM Gurren knows the difference between a playoff team, a cup contender, how a goalie or injuries can put a good team on a run or have them fall off. The key to any of that is making sure that you get into the playoffs. Playing under 500 hockey is not the formula. GM Bill Gurren expects his team is playoff bound. I expect this team is playoff bound. They still have work to do to get in. Gurren wasn't adding, nor was he subtracting. Minnesota will be a solid challenge to Colorado, Vegas, and whomever gets into the playoffs in the West Division as the fourth team. They also can control keeping both St. Louis and Arizona below them with the head-to-head games left. Minnesota's team metrics, 2.7 goals allowed, 12th, fell seven ranked spots since the last podcast. Some high-scoring games in there. The penalty kill stayed fourth at an 84% kill rate. However, at 2.95 goals scored, that's tied for 13th, and that actually went up two ranked spots. The power play improved to 15.1 from 10.8%, and we've been every week showing you the difference between the weeks prior and the current hard numbers on the power play to show you just how much of a crease. And that put them up to 27th overall. The actual hard numbers have, of course, been slowly rising. That's why we've been doing that over the last couple of podcasts. The game versus Colorado injected it with an even bigger bump this week. And that's where that three-spot rank improvement is coming from. It's also a good time for the power play to start producing. Minnesota's useless factoid, given Minnesota is 14-4-0 at home and 10-9-3 on the road, one positive of the remaining schedule is that 10 of the remaining 16 games for Minnesota will be played at home. However, to me, the remaining half versus St. Louis and Arizona is the one that needs to combine to be a Minnesota winning record more than whether it's home or on the road. Thumbs up to Kevin Fiala. His first career hat-trick in the 8-3 win over Colorado was part of a four-point night. He missed the last game versus St. Louis in this four-game stretch, but in the two games played versus Colorado, he had four goals total. That puts him second in scoring on the team, two goals behind rookie Kirill the Thrill Kaprizov. I'm going to start trying to say that more. Everybody likes saying it. Simply, Minnesota's two most dynamic forwards have absolutely been full value, and especially of late, as the push to the playoffs post-trade deadline starts. Thumbs down head coach Dean Evason, who I never imagined putting in the thumbs down, as I think he has been exceptional since taking over Minnesota. However, 
I was not impressed by Minnesota rookie goalie Capo Kakinen being kept in for the 9-1 St. Louis blowout. Now, the reasoning, of course, that he stayed in is the teams were playing back-to-back nights. Better to save Cam Talbot for the next night. How about the confidence of your rookie 24-year-old goalie that was seven deep in in goals against after two periods? He, Kapanen, is going to have to start again for this Minnesota team. Likewise, when you think that Vet Cam Talbot at 33, to me, is quite capable of playing four periods and potentially a bit of OT if it came down to that, if he came in relief to send a message to the rest of the Minnesota team, they needed to match the level of compete of a desperate St. Louis team that was playing against him. Talbot faced in what was 65 minutes, minus a couple of seconds, 30 shots in the overtime loss. St. Louis had nine shots on goal in the third in the 9-1 win. So thumbs down, I think the vet could have handled an extra period of work just to show your rookie goalie that the game wasn't on him in that loss. And back-to-backs be damned. In additional news, left winger Kevin Fiala upper body and center Nick Bukestad upper body are both listed as day-to-day. Up next, three games as Mondays versus St. Louis was postponed due to the events, of course, in Minnesota over the weekend. Wednesday, Minnesota is due to play against Arizona if that game goes as scheduled. And Friday and Saturday versus San Jose. With Minnesota and the NHL postponing Monday's game correctly versus St. Louis. Minnesota has three games that they should get points and wins for that matter in this week. In fact, not sure what of the two against San Jose Capo Kakinen starts, but the guys owe him a low shot shutout that I know he can deliver. After a quick timeout, we come back to look at St. Louis and Arizona on Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week, West Edition, in a different order than last week. Ah, holiday get-together. So many things to look forward to. Pass the squash. I'm trying to eat more vegetables. No, actually, squash is a fruit. It's a vegetable, like green beans. Well, beans are a legume. What are you, the vegetable police? Look, I'm just saying that just because But to those who can always find the silver lining, give the gift of joy. Holiday scratchers from D.C. Lottery, like Peppermint Payout, Merry Money Multiplier, and Festive 500s, with over $1 million in total cash prizes. Just trying to be accurate around here. Please play responsibly. Thanks to Total Wine, you saved more on all the gifts for the ones you adore. Wine spirits, beers all nestled on shelves. Got some advice from our helpful elves. Oh, so, so many gifts to explore when you go, go to Total Wine and more. Bottles so delightful, whoa, whoa, whoa. Price so amazingly low, low, low. Love what you find. Always lowest prices at Total Wine and more. Delivery available. Drink responsibly, B21. Welcome back to Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week. As we continue our look at the West Division, I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. St. Louis puts together an unseen for a season 3-1-0 stretch, including a three-game win streak, especially notable for the playoff-bound competition they faced during this past week. Meanwhile, Arizona, who I thought 
would, at a minimal, go 500 in their four games, went one and three that had the five-point fourth-place lead in the West Division flip on a six-point St. Louis point-standing swing in the week. And St. Louis holds the fourth-place spot while Arizona is back sitting fifth. So we look next at St. Louis as they played a new song. Here's an expanded look at where they sit in the Honda West standings. St. Louis 537 point percentage, fourth. That was a point percentage, by the way, a week ago that Arizona had. Since the last podcast, 3-1-0, overall 19-16-6, 41 games played, 44 points for St. Louis, 119 goals for 128 goals against, for a minus 9 goal differential. St. Louis week started with Vegas handing them a decisive loss, but after St. Louis responded and not just for a game. Let's start with the summaries for the split versus Vegas. Monday, April 5th, 6-1, a loss versus Vegas. 3-0-1 into the first St. Louis's Jaden Schwartz skates through the neutral zone and goes by the Vegas defense, but has stopped trying to go blocker side on Vegas goalie Robin Leonard. 6-25 in Vegas, Gets a goal, a point shot, tip net front goes blocker side roof on St. Louis goalie Villa Huso. 12-26, St. Louis's Ivan Barbashev is stopped on a forehand chance off the rush. 12-25 in, Vegas get a goal, point shot through St. Louis's own screen goes glove side. 4-32, St. Louis's David Perron wires it off the crossbar. St. Louis's Zach Sanford goes around the net and puts it into the slot for Tyler Bozak, who puts it roof blocker side for the St. Louis goal with 2.59 left. 2-1 Vegas after one. A minute 45 into the second, St. Louis's Barbashev's one-timer from the slot is saved by Vegas goalie Leonard without him seeing it, set up on a saucer pass from behind the net. 7.08 in, Vegas goal, short side from the circle, off the forecheck and cycle. 32 seconds later, Vegas gets another goal, top of the paint tip as Vegas's Alex Petrianagillo's point shot gets blocked, so he goes up the wall and puts it to the net front on a second effort. At 9.07 in, Vegas goal from St. Louis goal line, net side, it's banked off of St. Louis goalie Huso and in, and that ends Huso's night. Seven minutes left, Vegas goal, point shot gets through a screen in front. 6.28 left, Vegas takes a four-minute penalty that St. Louis is unable to score on. 6-1 Vegas through two. 1.38 left in a uneventful scoreless third st louis's bozak is stopped by vegas goalie leonard's pad save 6-1 vegas final 33 32 shots for vegas st louis 0 for 3 vegas over 2 on the power play st louis goalie huso five goals against 14 saves for the loss st louis goalie jordan bennington one goal against 13 saves in relief st louis defenseman colton perenko returned to the lineup playing 1946 in time on ice Wednesday, April 7th, a 3-1 win for St. Louis versus Vegas. 48 seconds into the first. St. Louis goal is Vladimir Tarasenko off the rush from the circle. Puts it top shelf glove side on Vegas goalie Marc-Andre Fleury. 3.54 Vegas goalie Fleury stops St. Louis's Tarasenko on a breakaway with a glove save. 7.21 in St. Louis, 3-on-2 center top circle wrister by Sammy Blay nets a St. Louis goal glove side. 9.48 in, St. Louis's Kyle Clifford and Vegas's Ryan Reeves square off, getting five each for fighting. 
839 left, St. Louis is Jaden Schwartz tries going glove on a breakaway chance. 2-0 St. Louis after one. 835 left in a scoreless second, St. Louis goalie Jordan Bennington stops a Vegas wraparound try. Five minutes left, St. Louis goalie Bennington stops a Vegas three-on-two slot shot. Under four minutes into the third, Vegas goalie Flurry makes two key saves. 6.59 in Vegas, goalie Flurry makes a helmet save on St. Louis's Clifford on a two-on-one. Eight minutes left off of a St. Louis defensive zone turnover. Goalie Bennington holds the short side for a save. 6.29 left, St. Louis's Jordan Cairo stops up in the offensive zone, fires a shot that forces a big rebound by Vegas goalie Flurry. From the circle, Jake Wallman wires it into an open net for his first NHL goal. 4.16 left, Vegas goal off of the forecheck, created turnover. St. Louis goalie Bennington is beat far side top corner. 3.13 left, St. Louis's Marco Scandella gets two minutes delay of game for putting the puck over the glass in the defensive zone. St. Louis goalie Bennington makes a big save on the penalty kill and one at the top of the paint just as the St. Louis penalty expires to preserve the 3-1 St. Louis win. Shots 51-35 Vegas, St. Louis 0-1, Vegas 0-4 on the power play. St. Louis goalie Bennington, one goal against 50 saves in the win. St. Louis perspective in the 6-1 loss, Vegas was a better team 5-on-5. All six goals scored even strength. Even if St. Louis goalie Huso could have performed better, St. Louis didn't test Vegas goalie Leonard much to have generated enough offense, I think, in this one to win it. Vegas was full value. The St. Louis team that showed up in this win did get better goaltending by Bennington. The shots, although 50-plus in the end, weren't the type of scoring chances Vegas had in the game before. I actually think it was inflated total shots, but more on that later on. What did happen was St. Louis got out to an early lead and kept the Vegas high-danger scoring chances down, both at 5-on-5 and on the penalty kill. That was 4-for-4 in the game. It's the first time since I think St. Louis beat Colorado to open the season. I felt I was watching a St. Louis team play to their identity as a hockey team. St. Louis also followed up a strong win versus Vegas by finishing the week strong. St. Louis won a blowout and had a come-from-behind OT thriller in games against Minnesota. The game summaries, of course, were in the Minnesota segment. Recapping the scores, Friday, April 9th, the 9-1 win in Minnesota. Saturday, April 10th, the 10th, the other back-to-back game, a 3-2 overtime. Oh, those weren't in Minnesota. Friday, April 9th, 9-1 win versus Minnesota. Saturday, April 10th, the back-to-back 3-2 overtime win versus Minnesota. Both played in St. Louis. From the St. Louis perspective, they came out and got to Minnesota goalie Kakinen early in every area of the game. Outplayed Minnesota in the 9-1 win. The prime example would be St. Louis defenseman Justin Falk beating out a sure icing call and setting up Sammy Blay for a goal. Five-on-five and on special teams, St. Louis was full value in the 9-1 win. Minnesota played better in the second game. Still, St. Louis stayed close and pressed in the third, found the equalizer late, and kept playing right till the buzzer, even when it seemed it was going to be decided in a skills competition. Ryan O'Reilly's effort gets two points in overtime. St. Louis was less than a minute from not getting any points of, if you think about it, 
and then avoided the skills competition by, again, competing to the buzzer. The compete in the two games with different scores, both were wins and launched St. Louis back into the last playoff spot. St. Louis's overall analysis. Once you get past the first game versus Vegas, we cover for St. Louis, they win the next three for their current win streak and put themselves back into the fourth playoff spot by a point. St. Louis also has a game in hand on Arizona. After the nostalgia trip of a week ago, if you listen to the podcast, the last three St. Louis played were as close to that brand of St. Louis hockey I've seen in over a year. The results are what came with them playing that way. The only drawback to me is how small a sample of size this current three-game win streak is. The team's best defenseman, Colton Perenko, returned, and it took him about one game to find his form. This win streak isn't simply explained by his return, nor by the goaltending. It was more of a compete level by the whole team. This has never been about, to me, St. Louis scoring goals or the quality of the players on the team. Having Pareko back does help on the back end, and the team's goals allowed is the metric we keep saying is what's needed to be improved on. It can be improved by puck possession and playing in the other team's end instead of your own. That brand of St. Louis hockey reappeared over the last three wins in a distinct way, and with it, the results, one against Vegas and two versus Minnesota, wins. At the end of the day, the real question is, can St. Louis get into the playoffs? Absolutely, they can. And you know, they have to win against the teams that probably would rather they miss the playoffs in Colorado, Vegas, and Minnesota to do it. It almost double intensifies the effort those teams playing St. Louis will give them heading into the final stretch. Will St. Louis do it? I'm not convinced they will. I still look at the St. Louis schedule as the hardest one to pick up points in of the teams battling as the stretch goes down. And for St. Louis to continue a win streak and have consistency, that's going to be even harder than starting the win streak is. And that is really what's needed the rest of the way. The current three-game win streak is above the play of St. Louis to this point. The one thing St. Louis hasn't had is consistency. That's really what they need. I have never had a St. Louis shouldn't be a playoff-bound team based on the talent narrative. Nope. It's purely based on the actual on-ice effort of the talent. And you can factor in injuries, but we can also say every team in the division, or for that matter, the league, has had to deal with that. The only thing that the teams who overcame it so far had was a better compete and effort level, and that led to more consistency and more wins. St. Louis looked good in the last three games of their current win streak. Absolutely. But they have to continue that with the 15 games remaining against good teams that have as good of talent and have played consistently better this season in Colorado, Vegas, and Minnesota. If anything this week teaches us the flip for fourth is simply having a 3-1-0 and week while the team you're fighting for that spot with goes 1-3-0. and However, 
at 15 and 14 games left, respectively. There are three more times potentially St. Louis and Arizona could conceivably flip this again, and then a couple games to boot. The consistency to maintain it by continuing to win is the thing missing most in this current season in St. Louis, and that is required for them to stay in fourth. And with the number of games remaining head-to-head versus Minnesota, third for St. Louis is actually a possibility on a stretch of regulation wins if they were to gain them specifically against Minnesota. Simply, I'm aware it's possible, but it also requires a Minnesota team who has been more consistent with their play to drop most of the series between the two remaining. A win streak could propel St. Louis to that kind of strong finish, but I don't think Minnesota has the kind of stumble to the finish line that would have to go with it in order for that to happen. That's why St. Louis and Arizona, the teams battling for the fourth and final playoff spot that one team can snag, are going to finish the West Division podcast as we see one of them get into the playoffs this year. That's why even in a week where St. Louis did have a better record than Minnesota and beat them head-to-head, I still put Minnesota second spot in the podcast order. Overall, this season, Minnesota's play warrants that positioning they currently maintain. While St. Louis still has to think about staying ahead of Arizona, then they should be thinking about catching Minnesota. Although truth is beating Minnesota would help them stay ahead of Arizona. We will see. St. Louis reminded me of seeing an ex-girlfriend looking really good after not seeing them in a really long time. That effect doesn't usually have staying power. And St. Louis right now needs the consistency to keep winning against this tough schedule. For that reason, while we didn't expect St. Louis GM Doug Armstrong to blow this up, you can argue we haven't seen this team at full health either. Individually, there is a lot to like. But for the first time, we had a glimpse of what, if they perform collectively, what St. Louis looks like. It looked way better. Also, that is the same reason I didn't expect Armstrong to make any deadline additions, both the health and the performance. There was always enough here for this team to make the playoffs in the West Division. It was simply whether they would play like they wanted to have a playoff appearance this year or Instead, join St. Louis color commentator Darren Pegg and have a early start to the golfing season. It's collectively up to the St. Louis group. This week was the first week that showed they want to play after the regular season. St. Louis team's metrics. Goal scored 2.85 is up two rank spots to 16th overall from a week ago. Up three rank spots at 21st is the goals allowed at 3.07. The power play moved down two spots to be 23rd in the league at an 18.5% success rate. The PK is tied for 25th at a 76.2% kill rate. St. Louis's useless factoid. Bennington's 50 save, 50 plus shot night in the St. Louis 3-1 win over Vegas. Or so we think. We do know that he allowed one goal against. Everyone agrees on that. According to NHL.com stats, Jordan Bennington made 50 saves. That's the shot total we went with. I think even GM Doug Armstrong in his trade deadline day presser today 
questioned the factuality of it. The Associated Press's story shortly after the game said it was a 45-save performance. That story is still posted today with the lower shot total. Vegas post-game show had said it was a 47-save performance by Bennington minutes after the game concluded. To me, even the 45-save total seems overly high. The 50 saves credited to Bennington seems especially propped up. The 21 and 18 shot second and third period Vegas shot totals were, to me, a lot closer to the 12 they got credit for in the first period that I honestly felt Bennington had probably made 35 saves in the win at most. Vegas TV network host Darren Millard actually joked on air that they would be adding shots they still hadn't originally counted during the game after it was over. That might have been the most accurate thing in the early post-game coverage because all jokes aside, I'm sure that's in fact what Vegas did. Thumbs up to Jaden Swartz. He doubled his goal total for the season to four with a pair of goals early in the 9-1 win versus Minnesota. He has been in and out of the lineup due to injury, playing only 26 games this season. He added an assist in the 3-1 win versus Vegas for three points in the four games covered. And more importantly, he looks fully healthy. That is an impactful top six St. Louis player that can be a difference maker for St. Louis down the stretch. This was a signs he will be. Thumbs down, Robert Thomas. I have been calling out guys for hits from behind and late hits all year in the podcast. In Friday's 9-1 route of Minnesota, Robert Thomas takes a hit from Minnesota's Carson Soucy that has put him back out of the lineup. Soucy, I've called out for previous hits this year, but I didn't on this one. In fact, he shouldn't have been given a minor penalty on a clean hit in the neutral zone, and he was. St. Louis got a power play goal, but really to the end score, it's inconsequential. Still wasn't a penalty. Just to refresh, with the score already 8-1 to for St. Louis, the playmaker, Thomas, rather than a simple dump-in during the third, turns back at the offensive zone blue line with the puck and cuts back into the neutral zone traffic and puts himself into the vulnerable position that, in fact, is the cause of his current injury that was avoidable and unnecessary as Susie on the back check is able to line Thomas, still the puck carrier up, with a shoulder-to-shoulder clean hockey hit that he ends up getting a penalty for. My apologies to Thomas, and I hope he is able to recover, but I won't sit here and bash an avoidable clean hit by Susie when a player like Thomas decides to get cutesy puck carrying against the flow and doesn't appreciate how he put himself at risk of injury, and he did get injury, because he's still the puck carrier. Now, if he was making a play in a tightly contested game, I would be more forgivable, I think. But remember, the score is 8-1. to one. Dump the fucking puck into the offensive zone. The only person to blame for Robert Thomas being hurt right now is Robert Thomas for not protecting himself and being cutesy when it was absolutely not the time to be doing it. Just saying, I don't just go with what the call on the ice was as 
my assessment of these hits. I assess them against everything I've watched this season in the league, past seasons, and that's a lot of NHL hockey. Secondly, there is a time to take a hit to make a play. I'm all for that. There are times in an 8-1 drubbing of the opposition that protecting yourself from injury that's had you out of the lineup more than in the lineup this season is important, and I think good players know the difference. In additional news, the injury list is getting smaller. Still listed, defenseman Carl Gunnarsson, knee, center Oscar Sundquist's leg, forward Mackenzie McEachern, upper body, and of course, you can add Robert Thomas, shoulder, as mentioned in the thumbs down. Up next is two games. Of course, the game in Minnesota is postponed and have to be rescheduled. Wednesday, St. Louis is at home to Colorado, and Saturday, they are at Arizona. St. Louis's home record improved to 7-9-4. That is more respectable than the unthinkable 4-8-4 mark they entered last week's games with. So, that uptick is timely. It also still indicates the work St. Louis has to do. Colorado is the first place team in the West Division and have the most points in the league. That makes for a marquee midweek one-off game that St. Louis is considerably the underdog in. Saturday, the final meeting between St. Louis and Arizona. Only a regulation win by St. Louis gives them the split head-to-head in the series. I think I over-talked about that point as to why St. Louis is battling for fourth over a month ago. That game will be explosive, and my guess is as the last meeting for these teams, as only one will be playoff-bound, and we're not making predictions as that's going to be. We're just going to watch it. But I can see a full outline brawl going down before that game finishes. Goalies and all. Yep. Really would like to see Aiden Hill and Jordan Bennington dropping the gloves. And it's an absolute possibility. I wouldn't sleep on it. Let's look at the other side of this fourth place flip as we look at where Arizona sits in the West Division standings. I talked about the balance in the remaining schedule for Arizona last week. Well, Arizona wasn't able to take advantage of it. Arizona fell back to fifth spot after a 1-3-0 week, a point behind St. Louis, having played one more game than them heading into Monday night. Let's look at the expanded Arizona standings. Arizona 5-12 point percentage fifth since the last podcast, 1-3-0. Overall, 19-18-5. 42 games played, 43 points, 114 goals for, 130 goals against for a minus 16 goal differential. To us, the only thing in Arizona's week that went as expected was a Monday win. The regulation Wednesday loss had Arizona split their two-game set with L.A. Let's start with Arizona's game summaries versus L.A. Monday, April 5th, 5-2 win at L.A. 2.43 into the first, Arizona off the rush. Connor Garland's backhand to the high slot opens the scoring for Arizona as Michael Bunting goes top shelf blocker side. 4-11 in Arizona's Jacob Chikrin's point shot rebound is put away by Bunting for his second for the Arizona power play goal. 7.28 on another Arizona power play. Garland stops up at the dot and passes to the other dot for Derek Brassard, who puts it past L.A. goalie Cal Peterson, top shelf. 
short side. 3.53 left LA power play goal. Point shot through traffic goes glove roof on Arizona goalie Aiden Hill. 3-1 Arizona after one. 6.40 into the second Arizona goalie Hill stops a partial LA breakaway. 8.48 Arizona power play goal. Bunting completes his first career NHL hat trick. Jacob Chikrin's point shot goes off an LA defenseman and Bunting taps in a backhand goal. LA challenges for offside. It's onside and a good goal. 4-1 Arizona through 2. 2-10 into the third. LA goal off of the forecheck. A net front deflection goes in glove side. 7-28 in. Arizona goalie Hill finds a way to stop LA shot chance. 5-26 left. Arizona goalie Hill makes key saves on LA in close. 32 seconds left. Arizona's Christian Dvorak from Arizona's defensive zone scores an empty net goal for the Arizona 5-2 win. LA outshoot Arizona 38-33. Arizona 3-6. for six. LA 1-3 for three with the power play. Arizona goalie Hill two goals against 36 saves in the win. Wednesday, April 7th, a 4-3 loss at LA. 9.30 into the first. Arizona opens the scoring net front rebound goal by Lawson Kraus. 5.26 left. Arizona's Kraus shot goes wide of the net, but caroms off the backboards to Arizona defenseman Ilya Labushkin, who wires it short side past LA goalie Jonathan Quick for his first goal of the year. 2.39 left. LA get a goal off the cycle. It goes off of Arizona defenseman Jordan Osterley as it's thrown on net and is then chipped past Arizona goalie Aiden Hill. 2-1 Arizona after one. 5.55 into the second Arizona goal as Chikrin's point shot is deflected by Johan Larson 5-hole. 1.42 left. Arizona's Clayton Keller in alone is stopped by LA goalie Quick's pad. 3-1 Arizona through two. 118 into the third and LA goal on on a three-on-two give-and-go low circle beats Arizona goalie Hill short side. 4.17 in LA goal, point shot gets high tipped and goes in glove side. 6.59 left, Arizona's Christian Dvorak takes a shot high and tries to jam in the rebound. The whistle blows before the puck crosses the goal line and it's ruled no goal. 6.05 left LA get the game-winning goal completing the comeback with a point shot through two layers of net front traffic that is tipped and goes five hole for the LA 4-3 win. 30-27 shots LA, Arizona 0 for 2, LA 0 for 1 on the power play. Arizona goalie Hill, four goals against 26 saves in the loss. Arizona perspective on the two games, Arizona got out to good starts in both games in LA. The fourth goal in the win on the power play in a game where Arizona went three for six is the difference in giving Arizona a lead they could hold onto to pick up points. Wednesday's 4-3 loss, Arizona only led 3-1 after two. Arizona gave up a late goal in the first in that game, and then they gave up a goal a little over a minute into the third. So the game was a one-goal game for more than most of the game. Next thing Arizona knew, they were in a tie game, and L.A. found the game winner. Disappointing to blow the lead after two, and also doing it in regulation time against a struggling L.A. team. Arizona 
finishes their week, dropping two to Vegas. That were two different games, but the results were regulation losses, and that moved St. Louis a point ahead of Arizona into the fourth and final West Division playoff spot. Here's the game summaries versus Vegas. Friday, April 9th, 7-4 loss at Vegas. 3-0-3 in. Vegas opens the scoring with a power play goal. Cross-seam pass to the low circle. Short side lifted over Arizona goalie Aiden Hill. Vegas continues with offensive zone time after the goal and then get another goal on a third effort in the slot at 4:41. Arizona calls a timeout. 6:59 Vegas gets a goal on an Arizona defensive zone turnover as Arizona defenseman Ilya Labushkin is stripped of the puck in the slot and Vegas goes a shelf blocker side. 8:44 Vegas shorthanded goal, 2 on 0, give and go into an open cage. Shots were 18-3 for Vegas before the 10-minute mark of the first period. 4-0 Vegas after one in a 22-8 shot on slot. 4-10 into the second, Vegas goal, five-hole on a breakaway. With 53 seconds left, Arizona ends Vegas' Robin Leonard's shutout bid with a power play goal. Arizona's Nick Schmaltz wrister from the top circle goes in far side. 6-1 Vegas through two. Arizona goalie Ivan Provostov comes in relief of Arizona goalie Hill to start third. 2.42 into the third Arizona goal by Dryden Hunt off the rush from the circle short side. 58 seconds later, Arizona goal is Clayton Keller on a breakaway. Scores a beauty backhand, forehand, and up on a deke. 9.44 in Vegas responds off the rush from the circle through a screen far side shelf. 15 seconds after, Arizona scores as Michael Bunting breaks in off the wing, cuts across the crease, outweights Vegas goalie Leonard, and lifts it in. 55 seconds left, Vegas get an empty net goal for the 7-4 Vegas final. 37-26 shots Vegas. Both teams one for two on the power play. Arizona goalie Hill, five goals against 27 saves in the loss. Arizona goalie Provostov, one goal against three saves in relief. Sunday, April 11th, a one nothing loss at Vegas. Two minutes into the first, Vegas goalie Marc-Andre Fleury reaches back into the crease to keep out an Arizona Connor Garland point shot on a power play out of the net. 3.08 in, Arizona's Tyler Pitlick is stopped in close. 7.25 in, Ryan Reeves crushes Arizona defenseman Jordan Gross with a solid clean hit that stops play and ends Gross's night. 10-14 left Arizona goalie Hill makes a big net front stop on an Arizona delayed penalty call. 9-37 left Vegas point shot goes off the post. 4-09 left Vegas from the slot hit the far side post in a scoreless first. 158 into the second Arizona's Alex Goligoski from the slot hits the short side post. With 9-44 left Vegas Alex Petriangelo rings the crossbar in another scoreless frame. More than halfway through the third at 10:38, Vegas off the forecheck create an Arizona defensive zone turnover and score the game's only goal, a short side wrister from the circle. 7:44 left, Arizona Dryden Hunt puts it off the post on the rush. 5 left, Vegas from the slot put it off the crossbar. 2.25 left, Arizona's Derek Broussard crashes the net after Arizona defenseman Jason Demers in the paint can't stuff in the tying goal. Vegas on goalie Flurry's 14-save shutout win 1-0 
29-14 shots Vegas. Arizona 0-for-1. Vegas 0-for-2 with the power play. Arizona goalie Hill, one goal against 28 saves in the loss. The Arizona perspective on this set of games. By the time Arizona showed up in the 7-4 loss, to be fair, I'm going to say the game was half over when they did, and Vegas was leading 5-0. However, the first 10 minutes were especially bad. The 18-3 Vegas shot advantage and a 4-0 lead. At that point, you might have said the game was out of reach. A late second period power play goal and compete by Arizona in the third at least provided something for Arizona to build off for the second game. However, it wasn't so much flurry as the lack of shots on goal in the Sunday 1-0 loss. Yes, Arizona was defensively better, but it seems to have come at the expense of having much, if any, offense at all, as 14 shots will tell you obviously. Save to say the number of posts and crossbars were more than the high danger chances and why those are the things I mentioned in the summary. Vegas had more of both. Finding a way to get a goal and finding a way to not have to try and be the comeback kids has been a theme for Arizona this season. When they get up in games, the results are better. Against Vegas, they didn't do either and left all the important playoff points with it. Arizona's overall analysis. This was having the reversed week. After a solid 5-2 win to open the week in LA, Arizona has a 3-1 lead going into the third in the second game. As much as we talked about Arizona getting those come-from-behind third-period wins, they certainly did everything to allow LA to return the favor, giving up three in regulation to lose 4-3. to three. To me, that is the difference, that one period, in starting this week still in the playoff spot, or as they are, not in it. That's the two points right there. Vegas pretty much owned Arizona in the first 40 in the 7-4 Friday game, but Arizona still competed in the third, albeit too late to get any points in the lopsided game. The one nothing loss is also where points were left on the table. Not nearly enough time spent generating offense to get a goal to get this game to extra time. And I'm not even saying Arizona needs to beat a really good Vegas team. I'm simply saying if they find the goal, they have a chance to get it to overtime or a shootout. And at least picking up loser points and not losing in regulation to the Elite Cup contenders, that would bank a couple of points the team desperately needs. And it's a few games in this set versus Vegas where the score has been difference of a goal and Vegas is winning in regulation. And that is especially important if St. Louis does end up going on a heater streak to end the season. When I said I wasn't going to say this team plays 500 hockey anymore, in actuality, that's kind of the minimal down the stretch to be a playoff team once they had got on the right side of 500 as they did. I didn't mean for them to play under 500, and you can see how quickly the results of that flipped Arizona and St. Louis yet again in the standings and that final playoff spot. Now, 
It really is about how inconsistent St. Louis has played that this Arizona bubble playoff team is in the playoff mix still. And that was pretty much to script from going into the season. However, there is a lot to like here from a compete standpoint and player surprises in Arizona. And the Arizona schedule makes it possible for Arizona to snag that last playoff spot. And that is something for this group to hang their collective hats on. It's not by the looks of St. Louis recent play going to be easy, but Arizona is truly the underdog West division team as far as the expected playoff teams. For the same reason, you didn't see Minnesota or St. Louis add to their team mix at the deadline, nor part with pieces of their group. This Arizona team did enough to earn the right to battle their way into the playoffs with pretty much the same conditions as Minnesota and St. Louis that get it done with who you got to this point so far mentality. For all those organizations, it seems a fair thing for the GMs to do. This upcoming week, playoff-bound teams Colorado and Minnesota and the absolutely key final game versus St. Louis on Saturday. Arizona have two more versus Minnesota and a couple left versus Vegas and a lot of below 500 games with LA and San Jose. So back to that blowing 4-3 lead on LA, that's the one they needed. That's the one that would have them still above the playoff line had they closed it out. Arizona needs to keep games close and get every available point in those rare instances where they have a lead going into the third. They need to lock it down and grab the points. Can they? I don't know. It almost seems some nights like it is more about how St. Louis handles their tough remaining schedule as to who's going to get this playoff spot. For me, what I think it should be is Arizona just playing every game like it's their last one and giving themselves a chance because it is much in Arizona's control as it is in St. Louis's. It really does come down to who plays better, not even in the head-to-head game, but the rest of the games each team has that strength of schedule favors Arizona. But you still have to win for these games to matter. To me, Arizona GM Bill Armstrong could have been a seller, but he too must have said, well, let's see if you guys can actually pull this off. And he kept the group intact. That is a tremendous compliment to the Arizona team players. Hopefully they can make their GM proud with the games they have left. Your GM gave you a vote of confidence, but there is still a lot of regular season hockey to play before this playoff spot is determined. To me, I wish I could have all four of our focus teams in the playoffs. Realistically, Vegas made that very clear early on that would not be a possibility in the West Division this year. Arizona team metrics, 22nd in goal scored 2.64 per game. Up two spots again from a week ago, 20th in goals allowed, 3.05, down two rank spots, and a drop in three consecutive weeks in that metric. The power play is up two spots to tie for 20th at 19.4%, while the penalty kill dropped to 10th 
from seventh overall league-wide at a 82.3% success kill rate for consecutive podcasts. At 26.2 shots on goal per game, Arizona is 31st league-wide in that metric. They need to get more shots on goal as that one nothing loss to Vegas, I remind you of, is a game where they did not get enough shots to get a goal to get that game into extra time. Arizona's a useless factoid. Monday and Wednesday's games are number eight and nine of Arizona's current road trip. They are three, four, and oh, with two games left to pay on that road trip. Overall, the team enters Monday's game versus Colorado with a nine, ten, and two road record. Of the remaining 14 games for Arizona, including the last two of the current long road trip, Arizona will play an equal amount at home as on the road with seven each. Thumbs up. Everybody who doesn't follow Arizona is even talking about Michael Bunting, so I guess we should as well. Bunting's first NHL hat trick helped pace Arizona to their 5-2 win, the only game they won we cover in this week's stretch. He added another goal in the 7-4 loss to Vegas. So over the four games this week, he had four goals. That gives him five goals in seven games played on the season. As secondary team scoring has been an issue that we have constantly talked about all year, Bunting's unexpected production had his coach Rick Tockett only complaining he hadn't put him in the lineup sooner in the season. Defenseman Jacob Trickern, by the way, had four assists in the two-game split versus L.A., and that was a tempting second choice for the thumbs up. Thumbs down. Firstly, Vegas Ryan Reeves, son of talented Canadian Football League running back, is 6'1", 225 pounds, and he took out Arizona defenseman Jordan Gross with a clean hit in the one nothing loss to Vegas. Still, you would want someone to step up given the hit took out a teammate for the game and possibly longer. I'm understanding that the volunteer list would be short to non-existent, and I personally wouldn't want to be on that list. But St. Louis up 2-0 in their 3-1 win versus Vegas this week had fourth-line left-wing veteran Kyle Clifford take on Reeves in a game that St. Louis was winning that I didn't understand Clifford's motivation for scrapping. But it sets a precedent in it. And it's to say I would have liked an Arizona player to have stepped up, but no one did. So to be clear, the thumbs down is for no one on Arizona stepping up to take on Reeves after a big hit that takes momentum away from Arizona. It isn't for Reeves' hit. And I wanted to share Reeves' physical stature as to why it's possible nobody from Arizona did. In additional news, injured reserve only saw center Tyler Pitlick return over this stretch. Arizona starting goalie Darcy Kemper, lower body, backup goalie Antti Ranta, lower body, defenseman Nicholas Yalmerson, upper body, and you can add defenseman Jordan Gross, lower body, day-to-day, who took that first period hit from Ryan Reeves that we just talked about in the thumbs down. Up next... Three games for Arizona Monday at Colorado, 
Wednesday at Minnesota and Saturday versus St. Louis. When we look at these games, Arizona needs to find a way to get points and it's not going to be easy. The good news is that after this week, their schedule is more favorable for them the rest of the way out, save for Vegas. I'm Tim Bigelow. Thanks for listening to Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week, West Division edition, some final podcast thought. Simply, all of our four focused teams are still in the playoff conversation in the West Division. As I hinted at earlier, because of Vegas, one won't be in this year's playoffs in the West Division. We don't know who that team will be, but we do know that all four of them aren't going to be able to get in. In closing, sorry for the lack of California content in this edition. However, San Jose, LA, and Anaheim did a little too much West Coasting it with their actual play to uh, have to talk about them much. They remain 6th through 8th place in the West Division, if you're wondering. like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want i'll have an old-fashioned i'll have a margarita now you can with the bartesian home cocktail maker bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button choose from over 50 different cocktails from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today you'll always get freshly mixed perfectly balanced cocktails with the bartesian cocktail maker and now get bartesian's best black friday deal ever at bartesian.com holiday entertaining the bartesian is ideal for parties no need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds the bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail now get bartesian's best black friday deal ever it's available right now only at bartesian.com holiday that's b-a-r-t-e-s-i-a-n.com holiday for bartesian's best deal ever only at bartesian.com holiday Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.